Welcome to episode 11 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. Uh, as always, I am joined by my uh, partner in crime, uh, Jim Passan. Jim? That's great to be here as always. Happy holidays to you, Adam. Of course, and to you as well, my friend. And uh, joining us this week is uh, a very special guest, uh, I would say in the studio, but we don't have one, uh, Mr. Jeremy Frank. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And of course, uh, the biggest thing is a lot of people hear Jeremy Frank and they, you know, they may think, who's Jeremy Frank? Well, Jeremy Frank is not only the co-author of The Hidden Ball Trick, uh, the and he is also the founder of the uh, MLB Random Stats, which is uh, if you don't follow it on Twitter, you're not on Twitter. Uh, so we really appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me on. Happy to do it. So uh, first, we're gonna ju- we're just gonna dive right in. Uh, you know, we're gonna cover the AL West uh, and as part of our off-season series after the break. But um, you know, I wanted to, Jim. You really kind of, um, in a good way, struck a nerve here on Twitter. Uh, with the uh, controversy right now surrounding um, Rob Manfred's, uh, I'll call it posturing, uh, talking about uh, Major League Baseball severing ties with um, uh, minor le- the minor leagues. Obviously, um, there are many thoughts and feelings on this, but uh, you really tapped into a lot of that on Twitter by uh, having people uh, quote, tweet, and uh, talk about their minor league experiences. I joined in on the fun as well. But um, I wanted you to kind of, I think it does, it warrants airtime. I think it warrants us talking about it because it's, it's obviously a big impact on, on baseball Twitter. So tell me a little bit about what is going on. Well, uh, I know it was, what, about a month ago or so, uh, they were, uh, there was breaking report about them uh, talking about contracting, I believe, 42 teams from the minor leagues. And uh, that kind of got everything going, at least for me, especially considering that uh, of those 42 teams, um, they're hitting my old neighborhood, right? I'm, I'm living out in Washington State now, but I'm a Montana guy, born and raised uh, near the Canadian border. And uh, for us, uh, it was our only baseball was uh, minor league baseball, but it was rookie ball, right? It was the beginning of the beginning for the professionals. So, uh we would uh, be able to go down to Great Falls or Helena, Montana or Billings, Montana once in a while. But we even went up to Lethbridge, Canada and Alberta there and Medicine Hat, which had a team for the Blue Jays and uh, and try to catch these games. It was our way of getting professional baseball without having to go to a place like Seattle or Minneapolis. Uh, Denver didn't even have a team when I was a kid. Right. So really important to, to people like me, because here I am now doing podcasts the twitter account writing books um, baseball is a huge part of my life without those minor leagues 
I don't know where it, where I'd be, right? I mean, I probably would still like baseball, but I don't know if I'd have the love for baseball. So hearing about the 42 teams being contracted, that was you know something that really got my, my eyebrows raised. And then uh, the other day, uh, it leaked out that between the minor leagues and the major leagues having their talks with each other, that the major leagues were basically threatening, okay, well... You know, we'll just we'll just get rid of y'all, you know, and you guys can work your thing out on your own, and and we'll take whatever we want out of the free agent market, basically, right. and teams can do whatever they want. Um, Treat them more like le- independent leagues at that point. Yeah, right. And that leaked out, and uh, that that, that kind of got me. Yeah, you know, thinking, well, this this is kind of something that drives me nuts because of how important it was just to me losing you know my rookie league teams that i grew up around and everything else can't imagine losing all the single a double a everything gone right so i thought well, let's find out what uh what minor league baseball means to everybody else around the country and uh so i asked people to quote tweet a simple tweet of mine on what it meant to them and how it's affected their life and i got oh four or five hundred quote tweets back ranging from i mean i was seeing that, it everywhere I was seeing yeah. it everywhere. Yeah, it was crazy to see how it just uh, started with just a few people that followed me, and then it started gaining steam because it started spreading out to people that weren't followers. Next thing you know, it's uh, writers that are uh, uh, hitting it up, saying, well, you know, I got my start in the minor leagues. If I didn't start there, I wouldn't be talking about the major leagues today. I had to work my way up through the system just like players do. Um, there was, uh, I think, at least three or four uh owners of minor league baseball teams that are just like that's my life it's always been my life i've owned a team i've moved i've gone here but it's always been part of my life it's uh it was amazing the number of people that i ran into where their careers were based off of it but i think the ones that hit me the hardest are the ones that were just like me um it was what was available to them so they didn't have to travel far uh it brought their families together um one person told me that my dad and i barely still talk each other but if we uh if we mention that there's a baseball game uh that we want to go catch i can't remember which minor league team it was but if he says hey let's go to the game that's the the best time they can have they can they can bridge their gap and uh and so many people with grandparents that you know they passed away now but it reminds them of that and then they continue that tradition through their family and now they're the grandparents that are going with their grandkids so many stories of that that brings families together there's a lot of common threads that met yeah a lot of common threads and you know for for you it was accessibility uh you know by proximity you know like for example i I grew up uh not maybe 30 minutes from veteran stadium in philadelphia but I also, in the meantime, if living in Delaware, there was no, I mean, it was Delaware. Nobody cared. The only mention we got in pop culture was a, a brief sti- a brief mention on Wayne's World, you know? Yeah. And even then, it wasn't great. But, like, you know, but we had the Wilmington Blue Rocks. And it was, I, I distinctly remember the moment when it washed over me, when I was like, wait a minute, these guys could one day play on the Kansas city Royals. Like, and I just remember as a kid thinking like, holy crud, like the, I, I live right by this stadium. That could be me. I played little league. I could get to the blue rocks. You know what I mean? It, it made the major leagues seem that much more attainable. Um, oh, yeah. And, and so like, I wonder, you know, when you were quoting it, like one of the threads that I, 
that I picked up on was the the accessibility. And and that's really what it is, is that the minor leagues create a level of accessibility for people that don't have it otherwise. You know, yeah. if you're yeah. if you're fortunate enough to grow up in a major league town, then then that's great. But a lot of a, a lot of us didn't have that, and so it's it, cool, you know. I think the yeah, accessibility could have been uh, in other terms too that that people were relating. Um, the accessibility of the players uh, was another thing that was mentioned quite frequently um, because it the the chances of you being able to sit and talk to a player or a manager or get that autograph at a professional stadium is a much smaller chance than going to a minor league stadium and catching even a professional uh, major leaguer that's on a rehab stint. They're a lot more available. They're a lot easier to get to, easier to get signatures from, get pictures with your kids now, you know, with phones, cell phones everywhere versus what we had back in the day. But I know growing up for me, uh, we used to always go to the great ball Dodgers games, uh, before they were the Voyagers and the White Sox franchise or White Sox uh, minor league team, uh, we'd go for my birthday, and it was it almost always landed on a Smokey the Bear baseball night. And we get a baseball when you walk through the stadium with a Smokey the Bear imprint on one side, a Dodger stamp on the other side. And my mother every time would take that ball and she would go down to the Dodgers dugout and she would get them to sign it. And then after everybody in the dugout signed it, she would be like, "Hey, any chance you guys could take that down down to the bullpen and see if you can get everybody to sign it down there?" And they all, of course, you know, tell them it's your kid's birthday, and they're off with the ball. And I, I ended up with a big, a ball just loaded with signatures, you know, and uh, and that was awesome, right? I mean, that type of accessibility, I can't get that at a major league stadium, even especially today. I don't, I don't know. Growing up as a kid, we didn't get to go to too, uh, too many um, major league baseball games. I know we only saw a couple games in Seattle when I was very young, and a few games in Minneapolis when I was in my or you know preteens so um which yeah, you, you can never appreciate that. anything in your preteens you know the way it's supposed ah, to be <laughs> nah, nah. no exactly right i can't i can't get the gist of what i saw when i was six or seven right i mean right. my sister got a baseball i mean i was trying to say that there isn't that much accessibility from the players but in 1983 if you went to a mariners game at the kingdom it was some accessibility it was almost like a minor league team um we saw the yankees play against the mariners uh and after the the game was over goose gossage was warming up down the line right and he was not needed to come in in the ninth but as he was walking back with the ball he was warming up he stopped dropped that off to my sister so my sister's got a baseball wow. from goose gossage you know and that kind of sparked her interest into the game too that she might that be keeps... the only person in the world who likes goose gossage yeah right yeah <laughs> exactly so i mean and she still and she still lives back in montana she's actually moved from my hometown the 111 miles down the road to great falls she lives now within three and four miles of the stadium and so now she's taking her kids to the voyagers games and uh and catching them all the time she usually goes to the billings games because that's where my wife's from and that's where we lived for a while so she's always trying to catch the mustangs voyagers and trying to stir me up a little bit on who's going to win and everything else so even she's continuing that tradition of what we had when we were kids so it's i think the big thing is it, it goes back to the whole thing it's of of accessibility but it also goes back to it, it first off i will say this it makes zero sense for mlb it's you can tell it's just completely posturing on the mlb's part I mean, mm -hmm. you're going to take the, the farm of cheap talent. The guy who's supposed to represent the owners is going to say, hey, I'm going to walk away from the biggest source of, 
uh, cheap, affordable, controllable talent you have, and then just sever that relationship. I, I can tell you right now, it's not going to happen. I don't have any insider information to tell you that it's not. I'm not even slightly well-connected enough to make that assertion other than it's just stupid. And yeah. it's not going to happen. The major leagues have spent too much money trying to it, do their part in and make sure that the minor leaguers can't even make a minimum wage salary. I will They've tell you this. They've invested so much into that. They can't let it go. They will pay minor league. I will go on the other end of the spectrum. They will pay minor leaguers a, minim, a, a livable wage before they get rid of the minor leagues. What really struck me about your your um, the the sort of I guess you would call it the tweet uh, the thread that that came from that from your tweet is exactly what you're talking about. It's tradition, it's accessibility, and it's something that we simply don't have a way to replicate. And and part of the part of the beauty of it is that it's tied to the major leagues. You can look at a guy and say he's going to wear Yankee pinstripes one day. You can look. I could look at the Blue Rocks and say that guy's going to wear a Royals hat. You know, mm-hmm. and that and that's what I think is we're ultimately the beneficiaries in a point where it's almost weirdly reassuring that if these are the straws that Manfred's grasping at right now, it it almost is weirdly reassuring as we go into labor, go into the the real labor talks maybe next next year or something of that ilk. So. Um, Anyway, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's just a yeah, yeah, it's you know the 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 joy and everything that that minor league baseball does to be able to tie people in to what their major league product ends up becoming is just it's ridiculous how how far reaching it is to make MLB what MLB is and it's not near what it would be you know if you take away the minor leagues I would never have gotten to play at the same portion i mean one time i got to play at the dodgers stadium there in great falls i got to stand in the same spot and play my position like jose offerman got to play his position and uh you know uh, i'll never forget that i'll never forget that i had that opportunity and so it's just for us in these smaller towns that's what we had i mean that's as cool as it gets i've never been on a major league uh ballpark field right i mean i i go to the seattle mariners game all the time and on sundays like the kids get to run around the field right and the mariners are barely a major league team yeah right they're pretty much yeah they could be in montana um but i mean these kids get to go out there and they get to run around on the field but you got to be under 12 right i'm always standing there like oh man if i could just have that opportunity. well you could do it you could do it jim you just have to be ready to be tackled by security afterwards yeah exactly um so um so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna come back with with uh jeremy frank and we're going to run down the nl west and we're going to uh we're, we're we going to take a look at the, the division. AL West instead. The AL West. Did I say that? We're going to edit that out. I don't. Yeah. You know. I don't. I don't. We're going to edit that out. I don't. I don't have. I don't need that. We need, we need to save the time anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll be right back. And we're back. 
All right. So uh, again, joining us is uh, Jeremy Frank, uh, MLB Ran- from MLB Random Stats, and uh, we are going to get into the AL West. Uh, so first off, uh, we're going to talk about the Houston Astros, and uh, you know, it's uh, I think that you know the title. How I feel about the Astros is summed up in the written companion to this on romanticaboutbaseball.com. Um, looks great, feels gross. Uh, and that is how I feel about the Astros because they look great. I mean, to, I literally looked at their depth chart and thought it was probably the only time I've uh, of this entire offseason like sort of series that we've done where I've looked at the depth chart and thought they could actually stand to lose like some players and still uh, that would that would actually better them. You know, they're already good and they could be great. So, uh, Jeremy, I'll put the question to you. Is there any real investment or improvement like really needed here? I mean, it seems like this is a hundred win team as is. I think the real need for improvement with the Astros is in the court of public opinion. I think that the Astros lineup is good. Their starters are good. Their relievers are good. But everyone besides Astros fans are rooting against them next year because of the whole cheating scandal. And I think that the thing that they need most to happen this offseason is to get completely cleared by the commissioner's office, which I don't think is likely. But that would be the best thing that could happen with the Astros this offseason. Because especially when I was watching them last year in the playoffs, I, in my short 18-year lifetime, I have not seen a more complete team than the Astros last year. I mean, they were banning like Alvarez and Correa like 6-7. and seven. And those are two of like... Not the best hitter. Well, Alvarez was really up there last year, but those are two terrific hitters that would be like the centerpieces of any other franchise. And they're just like depth pieces almost on the Astros. <laughs> they're like they're like hitting sixth and seventh. And then their rotation, they had three really great pitchers. They lost Garrett Cole, but Lance McCullers is coming back this year, who is sneaky, is a sneaky guy that could replace him, not in full, but he's a very good three starter. Any team would want him as a three starter. And their bullpen's solid as well. So I think that the the thing they need most this offseason is for everyone to like them again. Because right. it's, it's, for it's someone to, to like them hard. again. <laughs> they're a very, besides the whole cheating thing, their players are very likable for the most part. And it's hard for a bunch of likable players to all of a sudden be the most hated team in baseball. I'd argue they're more hated right now than the Yankees are. I, I agree with that. I, I think it's it's almost like, you know, instead of RPs, they need PR. You know, yeah. it, it's it's just really, it's really a mess, man. And I can tell you, it it's if you're out of mark, and it's not like, and I'll be th- say this, um, the fan base is not helping. And I don't like to comment on fan bases a lot, but it is, it, boy, it's just actively malicious. Um, but would any other fan base be better in this situation than that? I'm not saying that. No, no, no. I think you're right. Malicious. It's just any team that this would happen to, you would see the same thing with pretty much any fan base. I mean, I agree with that to a point. I, I, but I, I wonder if we're starting to blur the line between, like, say, blind loyalty, right? It, 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 like, sort of pumping up your team versus active destruction of others. Um, I, I think the, the the key factor ends up being how much success that they've had over the past few years on top of it, right? right. I mean, if this is the, the Royals that get busted for this over the last three years, everybody, even the Royals fans, just be like, he's good grief, right? Like the <laughs> one guy for the Orioles I saw, you know, he's just like, oh, good grief if this was us. I mean, imagine what they'd be saying about us. We're cheating and we can't win. <laughs> um, so... 
uh, I think that adds to it. I think that's why the fans get a little bit more into it is because they're, they've are they cheered their teams on to get into the playoffs from those terrible teams that the Astros had there when they first came over to the AL, coming from the NL, and then all the way into making the playoffs and then getting farther in the playoffs, then winning a championship, and then coming really close again last year and being such a great team, 100-win team every year. I think that just adds to the reason why they're so defensive. That's fair. It's, like, they paid their dues, and then you're not going to spoil it. So and, uh, I yeah, think that's and, fair. I think that's fair. You um, start hearing people like, hey, we're going to take your championship away. And they're like, no, man. No, yeah. that's my team. I put everything into that team. I feel like they're a part of that team. I think that's fair. Uh, what do you think about the team on the field, Jim? Is, is there really anything to say other than they're great? I think the only thing that I see, I mean, I mean, I like what they've got uh, in the infield. I like what they got in the outfield. I think, like you said, uh, Jeremy was saying, the McCullers coming back. I think the pitching staff is doing fine. I think uh, really the biggest thing that I see for them is that they need a signed caller instead of a signed stealer. I don't right. see any. I mean, they, they lost both Chirinos and, and Maldonado, right? They lost their two catchers. So, um I'm curious on where they go there. I mean, are they satisfied with, like, a Garrett Stubbs stepping up and taking that spot? Um, I mean, it's really your – I mean, it's unproven. I mean, it seems like a team that doesn't have any any weaknesses in it, and then all of a sudden, not only do you get just, you know, up to a point where there might be a weakness, it's just a complete unknown what you're going to get. So if I, if I anything, I think I could see them making maybe a move at, at trying to pick up somewhere a catcher. I don't think they would trade for it. I think that they would just try to pick up, either try to get like a Maldonado back, um, just because they did get him back today. Did they get him back today? Yeah, oh. like a couple hours ago. Breaking news. Oh. Breaking news. Yeah, broken on the podcast. Not. Right. Ago, but if you <laughs> weren't on Twitter, you probably missed it because it's not the biggest of free agent yeah. signings. And he Luckily wasn't there. For me, I'm always on Twitter. So. <laughs> but I mean, it's also you're bringing back their guy. I mean, even, even with that signing, you're only bringing back the guy that was backing up your main guy. I mean, right. Chirino was their main guy. I mean. Yep. You know, I didn't. I was curious on where they would try to go to try to get somebody behind the plate because it seemed like their best option might be like a Jason Castro, who was, you know, somebody Wilson that drafted. Contreras. Yeah, right, well, yeah. There you go. Well, you the know, you, are gonna trade him. you see, that's that's a good point, and I, and I want to back up for a second, Jim. Did you did you did we just have did you workshop that sign caller sign stealer thing or was that just on the spot just then uh that was a little bit on the spot when i was uh when i was looking at my, my so notes ro- i was like romantic about baseball come for the podcast stay for the stay for the <laughs> wordplay rps or pr yeah oh man we we got this um just trying just trying to help out there you go i you know your contribution is noted and appreciated sir um, the the biggest thing, uh, yeah, I I'm right on the same page with you. I think I'm, but isn't it true that you're like, if you're like me and and Jeremy, you might agree with this. I almost had to like look for that. Like you could you could run me out to catcher for the Houston Astros, and I don't think it would matter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think Maldonado at least has the framing value. So while he may not be able to hit, he does make the pitchers a little better as if they needed that right but he he's not terrible he's just he's, he's not really a great starting catcher for a team that wants to contend luckily their other seven or eight guys in the lineup are going to make up for it and he's basically a they're basically a i mean he's better than a pitcher is so he's he, it's like almost they're trotting out a national league with a madison bumgarner at a hitter that's what their lineup is with a really right. other eight, eight good guys 
And that's true. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, even if you go with a Jason Castro, who's more of a defensive specialist, you, you could do that. And it would still, I think the lowest grade they got in the, uh, in the offseason in through fan graphs, uh, the stats that I was using was in their defense. But even then it was still fine. So if anything, yeah. that, there's where you're, there's your upgrade. So we've done our part. Yeah, and then there's one more thing with the Astros, too, that I'd like to point out is that in the pitching, right, as much as I I like what the pitching's at, uh, out of the, like, off a roster resource, the 13 guys that they've got projected right now, uh, the five starters and their eight relievers in the pen, you know how many of them are left-handed? Zero? Just one. Just one. Who? Framper Valdez. That's it. It's, a, it's just basically a middle reliever. It's the only left-handed guy that they really got slotted right now is a, that roster resource sees as a major leaguer when the season starts. That's amazing. Interesting. Yeah. I think the one thing that would be that's going to be nice for them is all of their players hopefully will be playing more than they did last year because most of their guys, at least Springer and Altuve and Alvarez, I called up midseason, and Correa, all did not play full seasons in the majors. So while they are losing a guy at Garen Cole, you're probably getting a combined 162 games back from from those four guys just if they're healthy. And that is yeah. a lot to ask for your entire lineup to be healthy, and we know that's probably not going to happen. But it's hard for it to be worse than it was last year. I know a lot yeah. of Yankees fans will point to that for their team, but it's the same with the Astros. Their team missed a lot of time. And I think a Kyle Tucker steps up in that position if there are some games that are missed. Hopefully, not, you know, as an Astros fan would think, not as many games as they missed last year, but that if they just need some rest or if somebody needs to just hit the 10-day DL for 10 days only, that Kyle Tucker is a little bit more ready this year uh, with a little more experience under his belt. So I think Yeah, that, I know. That means Diaz in the infield, too, can play pretty much anywhere there. Yeah, That's he's right. complete utility inside the infield. Toro, I mean, you've got, you've got deft on deft on deft. If for this team, so uh, I, I think that um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this team could run out as is right now and win a hundred games in oh, a yeah. division that you know we were talking about during the break is is a division on the on the upswing right now. So, uh, so speaking of a division on the upswing, there are other teams in the division, and uh, one of them has won ninety seven games two years in a row. That's the Oakland A's. They're like the secret sauce of the major leagues. Um, so, you know, Jeremy, I'll, I'll put this question to you again first. Um, you know, what what do you make of the Oakland A's? Why are they so good? Oh, I, I love the athletics. And anyone, anyone that follows me know, knows that I love Matt Chapman especially. But I, I love watching their team. I know a lot of people don't watch them just because they're the Oakland athletics. They're on late. They're in Oakland. Who really cares? Small market team. But I think they're really good because they have a really strong defensive core, at least in their infield especially, because Matt Olsen at first base is one of the best out there. Matt Chapman at third base is the best defensive third baseman in baseball. Marcus Semien was really good last year at shortstop. Man, he came um, a long way, didn't he? Uh, th- that wasn't yeah, always the case, right? Terrible. This, this he used to be terrible. I remember talking about how bad the DH like, defense was. I remember talking about how bad it was. Yeah, and then they got a bunch of players that are good at defense Oof. recently. And then they have, um, they did have Profar playing second base last year. He was not good, but he's not on the team anymore. So I think Barreto's going to step up in that role this year. And then Ramon Laureano is a really fun guy to watch, too. He's a 30-30 threat if he stays in the field. He hasn't played a full season yet because he got hurt last year. But he is a guy who's really flashy on defense. His, his metrics don't like him as much as the eye test does because they don't like his range as much. But he makes some sick plays. He's got a great arm. He can rob homers. And he's got a good bat good base runner all-around player 
So their top four, top five hitters, Mark Hanna had a great year last year, really under the radar. He was their best hitter per plate appearance last year. And then if they can get Chris Davis to bounce back, they've got a really good lineup as well. And it's hard to see because their numbers are, are usually worse than um, you would like you would expect like a, a great core, or a great offensive core to have because they play in Oakland. It's probably the hardest ballpark to hit at. If they played at anywhere, if they played in Houston, their offensive numbers would look a lot better with the same lineup out there. It's true. So there's a lot of things that like the advanced metrics seeing them, like the park adjustments see that you might not see from their, their face value numbers or whatever, but they have a very strong hitting core and their pitching isn't bad either going next year. I'm way more confident in their rotation this year than last year. They've got, uh, Fires in Manaya one two, and then um, Montas is coming back from a suspension, and then Jesus Lizardo is the guy I'm most excited about to see him pitch. That slider, but, and they're they're really helped out by their infield defense. If they get ground balls, most of them are staying in the infield and they're out at first base. So it's a really great uh, it's really great to have good infield defense. It really helps out your pitchers, makes them look better. But th- their bats are so good as well. So, Jim, I'll put this question to you. You know, if I'm someone like, for me, like, you know, let's say a Marcelo Zuna or a, I mean, Dallas Keuchel or someone like that, why, you know, why do you think that this, I mean, it seems like this would be an attractive place to play, and yet I feel like they're not going to sign with Oakland. So so yeah. tell me what you think of the A's here. Yeah, they can't sign with Oakland. There's never going to be enough dollars to sign in Oakland. That's always going to be the issue there. They're always going to try to get the the most out of the least amount of money there. It's just it's just the way it is. So every time you think about Oakland, you think about free agency. You're looking for deals. You're you're looking for them to find a way to win without spending as much money as everybody else. I mean, they they're a small market team, but as you said, what 97 wins two years in a row. I mean, it's basically asking, you know, to do what the Royals did last year with, you know, except win, you know, spend the same amount of money, but except win. And I think that's the thing about the A's is that they have the the capabilities of of finding those guys and then also making sure that they get that that production out of them. So, yeah, going going off of that, I think that if you asked Ryu and Keiko, like in private, which teams they would most want to go to if they got the same offer, offers from anyone, I would say that Oakland would be near, near the top of their list. Guys put the ball on the ground against them with that defense and in that ballpark, their numbers would look better there than anywhere else. I would they say. have to it's be the combination of this too. It's just the A. It's not that they don't want to sign with the A's. It's just the A's don't have any interest in spending more than $10 million a year on anyone in free agency. So that's so, why they're not going to get you. I don't, I don't know a ton about the financial model when it comes to, I mean, it is, does Billy Bean or does, does anyone in A's upper management like finally say, Hey guys, this like, Dallas Keuchel has to play here. Like, I just, it, it almost makes you, they're the team that makes you scream at the television. Like, why are you not doing anything? But then at the other end of the coin, they keep winning. So it's almost like you feel bad for yelling at them afterwards. You know? They've got to be as on Moneyball brand as possible. If they did anything else, I know. Like, the movie would be invalidated, right? God, yeah. someone yeah. call Brad Pitt and tell him to get on the phone. Because, yeah. I mean, I, I want... a sequel where they spend money this time. <laughs> <laughs> Moneyball. Moneyball 2, the financing. Um, yeah, yeah. To, to be honest with you, I, I completely agree. I, I feel like this is a team that we're, on one hand, not giving enough due, but it almost feels tired to say that we're not giving them enough due. 
Yeah. The people who watch baseball know they're good. The people who don't watch baseball don't. And the thing is, we're we're talking to the people who already watch a lot of baseball. People who are listening to this podcast (laughs) know the A's are good. We're not going to get into like some like some like 50 year old like like newspaper reader that like (laughs) checks the box scores after the game and like doesn't watch any of the A's games. We're not we're not reaching to them and like oh my god the A's are actually good like you may have watched like three games of them last year at most right like the casual fans know, don't know the A's are good but they're also not listening to to this yep. to hear that the A's are actually good so we're not like this isn't a realization for anyone listening to this but way, way to blow up our that, audience there Jeremy we're in the echo chamber of people who watch a ton of baseball <laughs> no you're you're totally right I I I feel like that there's they're kind of like the Astros but different it's like there's nothing left to say. They're just gonna keep doing what they do, and and we and we will give them no credit for it, and that's just. And the, the talking heads on MLB Network will say, "Don't they need to sign starters?" And then, like at the end of the year, they'll have a segment on how great their starting pitching was in surprise. <laughs> like, how do we not see this coming every year? It's the yeah. same thing every year. Like, I don't know the names of any of these guys except for Homer Bailey, and I think that Homer Bailey's bad. And then, like three weeks later, the A starters have a 2.0 ERA <laughs> in their last 15 starts. How did this? How do we not see this coming? Mike Fire's mustache gets more uh, gets more headlines than the actual performance of the rotation. And Mike Fire's is the one guy I don't like on that rotation. I think he's due for some downfall eventually. And I think the frustrating part is that I mean, if this team didn't have Houston in its division the last couple of years, I mean, the talking point would be just even that much better about Moneyball, right? I mean, this team's winning the division. They're not just hosting AL wild card games or right. being invited to a wild card game. You know, they're in that spot. They're they're home field advantage in their first round, right? I mean, instead it. It's just amazing what they've done. It's just bad luck that they're in the, the same division with the Astros, too. Right. The real reason that the A's need to sign a guy like Keiko or Ryu is because every year, well, not every year, but the last couple of years, they've lost in the in the AL wildcard game. And that's really not going to change unless you have a guy that's going to be able to go out there and have a great start for you. And totally like, the guys are all, they're all, the guys all can do that, but you don't have that ace that does that most of the time. Yeah. And you're going to be playing likely against an AL East team. Or the Angels. You're yeah. going to be playing against probably like the Rays or the Red Sox, the Yankees if they somehow don't win the division, or the Angels. And all of them, except for really the Angels, have a guy. Like you're going to be going playing against Chris Sale, or you're going to be playing against Charlie Morton. And you don't have a guy that's as good as them. That yeah, No, you're, you're totally Cole. right. Yeah, or Garrett Cole. <laughs> or but, Garrett Cole if the Yankees get screwed in that game. But you know, and he, their lineup is good, but every lineup is bad against good pitching. So your lineup really goes away against guys that are going to finish top five in the Cy Young, and you don't have a guy that can do that to the other team. Jeremy, don't make me agree with John Smoltz in the logic of saying, uh, as a Braves fan, don't make me agree with John Smoltz when they say you're just relying on too many guys to be on you know, when you bullpen, he's actually right. He's though. right I mean, in this context. Don't do you. I'm yeah, not going to, I'm not going to I'm going to meet you halfway. I'm going to meet you halfway. And that's as far as I'm going. They built are in a very like niche position where they need to plan for one game specifically. And they just can't do it. They're like, oh, look how good we are for 162 games. And everyone's like, yeah, you guys can win 97. You guys are so good. And then the yep. guys, then they're like, Oh, like watch us do it again. And they're like, okay guys, you did it again. Losing the wild card game. And I hate to see it. Cause I love rooting for the ACE but they're never going to change anything because they're winning 97. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. It's hard they, to sign a guy for $25 million if you only really need him for that one game because yeah. he's going to already make the playoffs every time. Yep, change their model. They don't even make the playoffs. They don't even get to use that guy. Kind of seems like and then, them, they, right? then, then like in like five years they go out and sign a Garrett Cole and he gives up seven runs in the in the wild card game. And the A's are like, this is why we shouldn't have done all of this. We could yep. have done this with our rookie that came up two months ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. Uh, the, the savior for the A's this year if they when they win when they get to the wild card game, Jesus Luzardo is going to be the guy, right? Right. It's going to depend yeah. on what kind of season he has. He's the only one that really is on that pitching staff that I feel like has the stuff to be lights out in a one a best of one series, right? Yeah. So, Call, calling it now, Jesus Hendricks for a couple innings. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Luzardo, two innings, six runs in the wild card game next year. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so moving on to the uh, next team in the division, uh, the Los Angeles Angels. Um, so yeah, next, next, next. Yeah, they, they, they haven't. <laughs> they haven't done anything. Done anything. Now they're 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 just they're just sitting idle. They're taking the Oakland A's philosophy of not buy not doing anything in the offseason, except yeah. signing possibly, arguably, and I say arguably one of the best third basemen in all of baseball. Um, so they sign Anthony Rendon. Uh, they add a, uh, you know, they're starting to add some pieces to the rotation. Uh, I finally got a free agency pick correct. Uh, Julio Tehran uh, goes to the Angels in what I believe is a perfect fit for that team. So, you know, uh, Jeremy, I'll put the, I'll, I'll again put the question to you. How do you, is this, are, are we finally going to be buying into this team or is this roster still too top heavy? I, I really do like the Angels lineup this year. I think that especially their top four or five guys, depending on what order they put them in, are among, are the best in baseball, I would say. I mean, Trout and Rendon are the best one-two punch. Like you said, they're very top heavy. And I think that a lot of people are going to point to the rotation and say that, like they're not going to be able to win more than 85 games with this rotation and they're probably right but their rotation to me looks a lot better than it does to a lot of other people i think that otani is a solid ace and then you've got a bunch of guys who are like okay like griffin canning i'm actually kind of excited about him he hopefully can be their number two guy he's got and then bundy tehran and haney are just going to go out there and ideally for the angels have throw 150 innings with like a 450 ERA. And then if they do that, they're probably able to contend. But if they get lit up, then they're in trouble because they really don't have anyone after that, and their bullpen is not very good. Right. But I do love their lineup. They're going to score a lot of runs. Trout's stats are probably going to look even better with a guy like Rendon hitting behind him, and Rendon's going to drive in a crap load of runs. Right. But I'm well, I actually was talking about this um, with Devin Fink. I don't know if you know Devin Fink. I'm yeah. sure you do. He writes yeah. for Fangraphs. But I'm really interested to see what they do with their, their batting order. Because they do have a, a new manager in Joe Madden. And they don't, they have their three great hitters, Trout, Rendon, and Otani. None of them are really like the prototypical leadoff guys. Like all of those guys are like middle of the order bats, like undisputedly. Sure. But then who do you hit in front of all of them? You have like David Fletcher, who like is like solid. He like, he, he hits for contact, gets on base a decent amount. Not a lot of power. He's not a screaming like a leadoff guy, but he he could do it for you. Same with Andrelton Simmons. He's like Fletcher, but a little bit worse. You have Tommy Lestella, who lit it up last year with his power when he was playing and gets on base a decent amount. But none of those guys are like screaming like this is going to be the leadoff hitter. Right, right. I say that they hit Trout leadoff 
next year. Yes. And they hit instead of heading because they're going to hit Fletcher leadoff. I'm pretty, I'm not pretty confident, but that's what I think they will do. I think Fletcher will be their leadoff hitter. But why, if you're going to hit Fletcher leadoff, he's not like he's an average hitter. You may as well just hit him ninth. You're not in the National League. He's still going to be hitting ahead of Trout for the most part. But you're going to get Trout 15 or 20 more plate appearances next year if you hit him a lineup spot ahead. Right. It's not like you have like a guy that you need to hit up there besides Trout, Rendon, and Otani. So I say you just move Fletcher down to the ninth and hit Trout lead off. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I wonder if, because, you know, like the Braves did it with Ronald Acuna. You know, you, you, you put your, your premier talent at the top of the lineup and and uh, just let it go. And, and I wonder if that's a, a good way to kind of set the tone. And it puts your best player at the plate the most through the whole season. Right, so, you have a bunch of, and in Upton, you have another middle of the order guy. You've got right. a bunch of guys that could hit third or fourth on a lot of teams. The problem is who's going to hit leadoff. It's like kind of like, I'm going to bring the Cubs in this because I'm a Cubs fan. They have not really had a leadoff hitter since Dexter Fowler left. Right. And I've been saying they should be hitting Chris Bryant leadoff. If you're not, if you're going to hit Albert Amora ahead of him, you may as well just have Bryant leading off. You're not gaining anything by having a below average hitter hitting ahead of him, besides having Bryant batting with one up majority of the time and nobody on base. Now, you may as well have him up with nobody out and getting on base, drawing a walk so Rendon or an Otani or Rizzo and Baez in the Cubs case can bring him in. Now, it's just one more or one less out you have when when Trout's going to walk inevitably to start the game. Right. Now, now Jim, I, I agree with you, Jeremy, but I would put this question to Jim. Like, you know, I, th- I feel like, you know, maybe the, the industry is underselling Justin Upton a little bit. I feel like, you know, if Justin Upton shows back up and bats 280 and hits 30 bombs, you know, he's the, the perfect guy. You, you stretch the lineup a little bit. But would you agree with me that, you know, if, if I'm a pitcher going into a game against the Angels, I'm thinking just get through the top four and you're good until it comes back around again. Nah, I, don't, I, I can't believe that. I don't, I mean, to me, Justin Upton, to me, has turned turn into almost unplayable on most teams, right? I just mm-hmm. don't see him being able to bounce back. Just doesn't seem like that's the case for him. I mean, he's got the power, right? I mean, when he runs into one, he runs into one, but just his contact rate and, and how he takes their approach at the plate, he seems like such a liability. I mean, it's like a younger version of where Albert Pujols is already, right? I just, I think I in see him Upton's as a defense, And I hate to cut you off. In Upton's defense, he did not have like a spring training at all last year. He had six minor league games, and then he was in the majors and played 60 games. I, yeah. I, I think he could bounce back. I think he could be unplayable, like you're saying. But I, w- I wouldn't rule him out based on 60 games coming off of an injury. Right. Well, there's a he wide was- spectrum of possibilities here. I mean, he was an all-star two years ago, right? I right. mean, it's not that separated from being... Ton. Yeah. He walks over 10% of the time in his worst seasons. He had a bad, bad up year, some bad contact, but he still does have the power there that if he does get his, his average up to like a 250, he's a, he's a stereotypical five guy in today's baseball. He's the dude that you want hitting fifth. 250, yeah. 30 homers... 150 RBIs with the guys hitting ahead of him. <laughs> like, he, that's what he'll do if he can hit. Yeah. If not, you have Brian Goodwin there that can probably do the same thing for you. Exactly, exactly. And I wouldn't even mind seeing somebody, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that fits, right? I mean, as long as it's not Pujol sitting in that spot, I'd be all right with that. Uh, I mean, it's it's really difficult when you've when you've got the lineup that you've got 
set up right you've got you know like you said you got mike trout in there you've got otani in there and yeah you got rendon you got those three powerhouses and then just the rest of the lineup just really doesn't seem to match up right doesn't seem to give you what you you figure you need to build around those three right well i mean that's the question you know that was the question i was posing like do you think that that you know if you're a pitcher like just get through the first inning you're fine yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it's always kind of been the last few years with them. I think the addition of Rendon might change that a little bit. I mean, if Jeremy's, you know, correct in thinking that, you know, if you can get Mike Trout in that leadoff spot, I mean, that kind of changes the dynamic of that first inning because it used to just be, okay, if you can get rid of the first guy, then just work around the second guy, Mike Trout, right, and get away from that. Um, and, and I think that could change things. Uh, but... You know, I mean, even if you stick somebody like David Fletcher in that first spot, I mean, the guy doesn't hit for power. You don't need that out of the first spot when you've got Otani and, and Trout and, and Rendon hitting behind him. And, I mean, he didn't get on base at the same clip as Mike Trout last year. But, I mean, the guy's bats 290. Trout batted 291 last year. He's 350 on base percentage for a guy like Fletcher. I, I feel like you put Fletcher first because I don't – I wouldn't trust uh, up to – to bat fourth or fifth, really. I mean, if you're going to bat him fifth, at least bat him behind Otani and, and Trout. You right would now. have Listella, though, if you're not going to hit Listella leadoff, which yeah. Roster yeah. Research is saying he's going to hit leadoff. I would be pretty surprised if he does. Yeah, I, I don't would, know where he's going to play next year because if, if Poulos isn't playing, is Listella really a capable first baseman? I don't think he's ever played first base in his career. <laughs> no. Who's going to play first base? Yeah. He did it but when yeah. he was with the Braves organization. I know that. He, he played majority, like, second and third with the Cubs. I, I don't, he might have played a few games at first base, but is he really the guy that you can trust to play first base? First base is a very important defensive position. Well, he's but, still kind of an unknown. He's still kind of we, – we don't really know. Yeah. Like, the Tommy LaStella was a slap smaller, hitter. Is he actually a good hitter? Right. Yeah, he was a slap hitter until he just – he found his stroke, you know? I mean, is he Daniel Murphy where he's one of these launch angle revolution guys, or is he just – is he is this a guy who ran into a bunch before he broke his leg? Yeah. The one I mean, thing I will say about the Angels is they will be the most exciting team to watch next year. If they weren't last year, they will be this year. Well, they we, have a ton of guys that are like crazy to watch in like so many specific categories. Like Trout and Rendon, obviously two of the best hitters in the game. You have Otani, a two-way guy playing at both like in both positions that in levels that we've never seen anyone do before. You've got Simmons, the best and most exciting defender in baseball. And then you have uh, Fletcher, who is like the most contact oriented hitter in baseball. He's like, I don't think a lot of people really care about David Fletcher, but I think he had the the highest contact rate in baseball last year. So he's the guy that like all the eighties baseball fans are going to tune in to watch next year. Maybe uh, they got Pujols. Who's going to be chasing milestones next year when he is on the field. And then they have like Stella, who's just a fun dude to watch. If he, especially if you can hit, but they're just a really fun team to that hopefully will be a very fun team to watch this year. And, and I think if they get what they want this year too, they're going to have Joe Adele, right? I mean, I that's think that's true. Yeah, yeah that we haven't be, even talked about Joe Adele. We could really excite that lineup he's, and really excite Justin that Upton team. If Justin Upton can't do anything, exactly. Right. Yeah. Now, Jim, uh, two two word two words or less. Are we underselling or are we overselling the Angels? Overselling. Pitching's not there. All right, uh, Jeremy, quit one sentence. Overselling or underselling the Angels going into 2020? We personally are probably overselling the Angels. I think we are. I think we can want I, can them I to add, be better. Can I add one thing? Go ahead. Before we go to the next team, they 
they do not necessarily need to win next year because they have Trout, Rendon, Otani, and Adele. They're four best players going into the future locked up for like six or seven more years. Golly. So we're going to have this core. We're going to have this conversation every year for the next six or seven years. It's not like the A's where like they're going to lose their guys to free agency soon and they're not going to pay to get them back where they need to win now. The Angels don't need to be a playoff team next year for this to be a win. Golly, man, that that's something. Um, all right, so uh, moving on to the next team, the t- probably the most curious team in this whole group. Not the most exciting, just the most curious, and that's the Texas Rangers. Uh, they're moving into a new ballpark uh, this coming season, and the um, you know as with most teams, when they go into a new ballpark, the game is to acquire names and players that will attract and attract uh, fans and sell tickets and their uh, their definition of this is seems to be so far uh so far pending any breaking news on josh donaldson um would be the acquisition of Corey kluber uh to front a rotation that outside of mike minor lance lynn posted an era of over seven um so you know uh jim i'll put it to you first this time uh, for the Rangers, what do you uh, what do you think the Rangers? What do you think of what the Rangers have done, and what do you think the Rangers still need to do to be after all the positivity we've just rained down on the three teams ahead of them? I I think the I think the Rangers have a different game plan. I really think that uh, I think that they they I think they feel like they might have enough pieces to make a run. Right? I, I mean, I think they understand the division that they're. In and and kind of where they sit, and I think the Kluber move is a it's a logical move. It's a decent price for a guy that's got the capabilities that he's got, but his contract's also in a pretty good position. Uh, I believe it's uh, seventeen and a half million. I believe this year with an eighteen million dollar option next year so or exactly one million dollar right. yep. buyout, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got that. You've got. Um, Miner is on his last year. He's only costing him about nine million, a little over nine million dollars. And then Lance Lynn, he's got eleven million this year and nine next year, right? So they're they're running out of time with the three guys that we're even talking about, even though they've already just traded for one. They don't even really have more than this year with him if they don't want to, right? So it's a it's an affordable option to take a run at it, get Gallo back. But if things don't work out the way that you want to you're going to know that by the all-star break you're going to know that by the trade deadline and i mean seriously the talk that was on minor and lynn last year at the trade deadline and they held off and didn't take any of those deals i think texas takes a deal on every single one of them this year if they're not there right if they're not there they're they're cashing in on kluber lynn and minor and they're going to bolster their system and i think all those guys can draw back big right i mean i think for the price that they cost uh in financially I think that, that that's kind of the game plan is like, let's see what we can do with what we got. Let's make this move. And uh, if it doesn't work out for us, eh, so what? I bet you we can win at the trade deadline. And that's why an not give it a shot? Uh, that's an interesting tact. I hadn't thought about that. Jeremy, Jeremy, what do you what do you think about uh, so, about that sort of uh, path for the Rangers? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, with Jim there. They're definitely a team that can contend. They, if they get off to a hot start, they're in a great position to actually contend for a wild card spot. But if they don't, they have some good trade pieces. They have a really interesting rotation, in my opinion. I think, like, if you're looking at guys, like, as, like, ones, twos, threes, fours, and fives in a rotation, they have, like, three, like, one and a halves, I feel like. And, like, Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, and, and Corey Kluber. Lance Lynn and Mike Miner were really good, depending on which stats you looked at last year. And Corey Kluber is, like, 
has been an ace in, historically, but he's getting up there in age, and we don't know what to think of him. I'd put all three of them was like in between an ace and a two starter. And if you have three of those guys, like that's not a bad thing at all. You've got three guys that could be aces, their ceiling, but they also could be a three or a two, three or four, depending on if they get lit up this year. See, I, I'm, I'm, is, I'm not as high on ahead. them. I'm not as high on them as you are. Uh, I, I kind of feel like you there between. You've got a rotation full of twos and threes. Uh, you, know, you could you could say that, but coming off of coming off of last year, I think Mike Miner had a very under the radar season. I mean, he had a three fifty nine ERA last year. Like, would you would you have guessed it was that low for like and Mike Miner in that ballpark? As a right, Braves exactly. fan, I definitely couldn't have guessed that. <laughs> and, then, and then Lance Lynn, uh, fielding independent pitching was three thirteen. I think he was like third in pitching WAR, or like somewhere up there, uh-huh. because for fan graphs, because they use fielding independent pitching for their for their war and that it if it should be more in, indicative than era is like he's going to be an ace if his fielding independent pitching stays where it was and his era was solid again but gallo is one of the better bats in baseball they do need to probably get a third baseman like a chris bryant or a josh donaldson i think they said they were out on donaldson but i don't know why if they were serious about being good this year why they would trade for kluber and not Sign Donaldson, I think he is a piece. Him or Bryant or like even like Michael Franco, who just signed with the Royals, could have been a someone you could have signed because he does have upside. That's true. But they I do think... need their their order is not complete by any means. I don't think. Like Rogan yeah. Odor is a giant. I really don't like Odor as a hitter. I he has a lot of. I think he's like a lineup hole. And then like right now, according to uh, roster resource, they have Jose Trevino hitting eighth, and then Ronald Guzman platooning with Scott Heineman hitting ninth. Like you can't have that if you're you're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't, and you know, maybe like Jim, like the, I've just been processing everything you just said because this whole time, going into this this podcast, I was thinking, well, the Rangers are really gonna. It makes sense for them to go after guys like Donaldson, and, and they were in on Rendon for a little bit, and like it may. But now I'm like wondering, you know what? In the same token. Think about seventeen and a half and eighteen million dollars for Corey Kluber. That's if Corey Kluber comes back and is eighty percent of what he was. I think I said this uh, last week on the AL Central uh, podcast. Uh, he, if he comes back at eighty percent, he's a value at eighteen million a year based on the price of starting pitching these days. So I wonder if the Rangers, if like what you're saying, the Rangers get a if we go into the All Star break or towards the trading deadline, and those three pitchers we just talked about, Miner, Lynn, and Kluber, if all of them have ERAs under four and strike and K per nines in the eight or above range, I think all three of them are wearing different uniforms. And, yeah, and, I th- and yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. And that's what I think the Donaldson thing is and everything else. I think, I mean, Rendon, I mean, I think they're just kicking the tires when they were talking about Rendon, right? I mean, there was no chance that Rendon was going for uh, anything less than the amount of years that he pretty much got right, right. i mean and donaldson's asking for four sounds like he's got multiple offers for four years on the table and the years were more important than his aab was so if you're really thinking about how this this rangers team is being built it almost seems like everything is saying hey we want our books to be clear after 2021 so that we can deal with what we've got coming up through our system and then try to be able to make what we want out of free agency after that and then go ahead and start signing guys for four and five year contracts and build something instead of having okay i got a guy that's got two years here one year here three years here four years here six years here and all of a sudden you've got money just spread out 
and instead it's like okay let's just take a targeted look at it let's just clear our books and let's make a run at it in 2022 2023 by by doing this so i mean if they could get donaldson on a two-year deal for for you know 25 million a year 26 million a year yeah, i don't think they would spend that type of money but that's what it would take to get them uh but Donaldson isn't interested in a two-year deal, so it's just not something that's that's going to happen. But I think if it was available, they would do it because, if, like I said, if they got to the the trade deadline or the All Star break and it wasn't working out for them, Donaldson's an easy trade piece, right? Because it's like, okay, whoever they're trading with is like, here, let me give you a bunch of prospects. I just need this guy for the rest of this year. I don't really care how long his contract is. Actually, the shorter the better. The more money he is worth and shorter contract i can get them off my books quicker right. i think they're easier to trade off at that trade deadline so you know i think that's what they need a good values on on shorter term contracts right now that's what they're aiming for well, right. here's, a, here's a follow for you you jim or and for you adam if, who says no to this to this offer like who does who is this worse for the rangers offering donaldson a one-year 40 million dollar contract who is that worse off for that's worse off for well, uh, yeah, because then Donaldson, he would have. Uh, oof, I don't even know. I mean, because then, then he would have draft pick compensation. I know. Next I, year. I haven't seen that anywhere, and that's very probably very unrealistic to pay him. He'll be like the highest paid player on a yearly basis in baseball. But you give Donaldson a year to like be good again, or at least in Donaldson's eyes, you be good again, and you got you're in the same spot next year, just one year older. You'll get a three year deal. And if the, the Rangers are looking at it like, okay, we're only paying like $40 million is a lot, but for one year, it's not a huge commitment. You can trade him midway through the year if you need to. And if not, if you don't trade him, you're probably a playoff team and the, the money paid off anyways. If not, you're trading him for a couple mid-level prospects. Well, that's true too now because if you trade him midway through the year, no draft pick compensation in the upcoming offseason, uh, he becomes a lot more signable. So, um, right. okay. I think that's worse. I don't think Donaldson will do that. I don't think the Rangers would either, but that would be interesting to see something yeah. like that. I don't think it happens, but it's a win-win the way I see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So real, real, that's, a, that's an interesting take. Real, real quick, uh, Jim, is are the one, one word? Are the Rangers headed for a tank? Quite possibly. That's two words. That's two words. I'll take it though. <laughs> Jeremy, are the Rangers headed for a tank? Uh, I would say no, comma, rebuild. I would say they're not going to tank, but they will rebuild. I don't think they're should I have just said two words? Team, but they're they're like a re restock thing. I know that's way more than two words now. <laughs> like, they're like a they're they're huh? in they they have a success in their not immediate future, but way closer than like trading everyone and starting over. They're a lot closer than that. Okay, great. That's fair. All right. Uh, do uh, Mariners, uh, Seattle Mariners. Uh, they are a team in the major leagues. Um, the, uh, they, they, they wear uniforms. They, they go out and play 162 games from what I've been told. Uh, they travel the most out of any team in baseball. They do. <laughs> they do. And I have, I'm going to be honest with you, like Jim vouch for me here. We've talked about the Tigers. We have talked about the Marlins. We have talked about, uh, the Orioles, um, no, we haven't talked about the Orioles yet, but we'll probably talk about the Orioles at some point, I, I guess. Just a little. Uh, yeah, we'll give them um, a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, give it a couple of minutes. Um, the Mariners are not as bad as these teams, but I just don't care. And I'm so, I feel like I'm, I have no journalistic obligation to be objective here. I just don't 
care. We're running, we're, we're, we're running a little short on time. I just feel like the, do the Mariners warrant any sort of attention here? It just seems like they just basically took their Tacoma AAA team, built the all-stars that they could out of it, and then said, okay, here's your, here's your new major league uniform. Let's just give you some experience at the, at the highest level. And, and rock and roll. I mean, it's that's what it feels like when you see it. I mean, there is a Mitch Haneker, there is a Kyle Seager that you can stuff in the middle of that lineup. I mean, even Bogelbach can bang a little bit. But I mean, it's uh, it's a team that's kind of just it's it's on its way to building itself into quite possibly a different kind of juggernaut. Maybe not overly powerful, but more of a, uh, a grinder type of team. But I mean, in this near future that they've got right now, yeah, the, real, the bullpen's not that great. The uh, starting staff is in. I mean, we'll be able to not, see what they can come up with. But you know, Justice Sheffield could be something. Kikuchi could be something. It's uh, it's yeah, it's Kyle a, Lewis it's can a hit. <laughs> yeah, Lewis can hit. I mean, even somebody like Shed Long is interesting on what he can do. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys on there that have some energy. It's just that having energy and having the numbers already isn't the same thing, right? I mean, they, they, they got spark. They just don't have spark every night or every other night or every third night, it seems to me. But yeah. give it a couple of years, this is this is a team that could, you know, make people interested and, and get people here in the in the Puget Sound area to maybe think that their team's got a chance to the playoffs any thoughts jeremy i will give the mariners one thing besides the fact that i do think that in a few years they'll be a good team i think their farm system is very appealing but the one more way more important thing not actually as important but if the rangers do trade for or if they sign donaldson or trade for bryant or pick up another great third baseman kyle Seager will quite possibly be the best player to be the worst player at his position in his division of all time i don't even know if that's if that could be topped if he has a good season He's still, if the Rangers pick up Bryant or Donaldson, the worst third baseman by a good amount in that division, and he's a very solid player. That's kind of true, actually. You know, ooh. That's weird. I yeah. mean, this is the most stacked division. I, I haven't looked into the numbers at all, but I would argue that even if the Rangers don't pick up a Donaldson or Bryant, you have a division of third baseman with um, Alex Bregman, Matt Chapman, Anthony Rendon, Kyle Seeger, and then... Maybe Donaldson, maybe Bryant, maybe neither of them. But that is for a five-team division where not even all five of the teams are great. You have a quite traditional division, probably a little bit better than the average division would be, that has just for some reason all of their third basemen are good to elite, that, with the exception of Seager, who really who really knows what he's going to do. Yeah, he, he could be 20%. He could have WRC plus 120 this year. He could yeah. be 100. He could right. be an average guy. He was lights out after the All-Star break. He's a good player, and he could be the worst third base in that division. I kind of feel bad for him to be overshadowed by all the other guys there. Kind of getting overrun there. All right, well, good. I'm. You guys have a much more positive take on the Mariners than I do. So, I, you know, you guys should be commended for the objectivity here. Um, All right, so that does it for the AL West here, Um, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to come back with Jim's uh, Stat Spotlight. We'll be right back.
And we're back. Uh, again, joining us is uh, Jeremy Frank, MLB Random Stats. And, of course, we've got Jim's Stat Spotlight up. So, Jim, let's uh, let's do this. Continuing with our theme that we've done for the first four divisions that we've done, uh, division number five, same thing. Just basically looking at uh, some trivia questions for you based upon the AOS, since this is the week for that. Um, so for both of you, um, uh, as always, I'll start with my guest, Jeremy. Uh, the question is, this American League West team had the most games in the major leagues in which they stole at least one base. What AL West team had the most games where they stole at least one base? I would guess the Seattle Mariners, just because I think Malik Smith led the league in stolen bases. So, like, that's my only logical base for that guess. All right. Uh, Adam? I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. The Rangers finished second, tied with the Royals with 74 games, but yes. The Mariners, as Jeremy said, since he got first swack at it, he nailed it. 76 and games. And Dean Gordon, too. I forgot about that. Yeah, they, they, they were kind of lighting it up a little bit. They didn't. They weren't the, the team that had the most uh, stolen bases in even just the AL West. I believe that belonged to the Rangers. Uh, but for the most games in Major League in which they stole at least one base, it was the Mariners. Huh. In those 76 games, they had a 39-37 and 37 record. In the games that they didn't steal a base... 29 and 57. Goof. Run, hmm. run, run more. Run, yeah. run. They do need to have guys on base to steal them. Which <laughs> That's is an true. Issue. Yeah. You can't <laughs> steal first unless you're Tim LaCastro. You've got to be on there. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, Jeremy, got something? Yeah. Can I, I need, uh, can I ask both of mine consecutively? I know you have a few other ones, but yes. I would like to go in a row here. If Bring you don't it. Mind. Friend of the podcast. Okay. You, you run it. So uh, you guys can alternate starting for these. This is not just a single-year question. It's about the 2010s. And it's not a multiple-choice question between the teams. You're going to have to name a player here. But I'll start with Adam. <laughs> All right. Which American League West player had the most plate appearances as a designated hitter during the 2010s? Shinsu Chu. So, like, so like with, okay, yeah, okay, that's fine. I just wanted to clarify, like, he doesn't need to be on an AL West team now. He just needs to have taken the most as a DH in the AL West over the last decade. Yeah. But Shin Chu would definitely count for that. Jim? A DH? Ah, man. Uh, you know, let's see. Uh, uh, give me Albert Pujols. I'm just uh, I'm drawing a blank on anything else. Give me Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is correct. Oh, okay. And now I'll ask you the same question, but instead of designated hitter, I will say first base because I feel like I could not name a first base in that state in the American League for that long. In the American yeah. League West? I'll start with Jim here, yeah. All right. The, the most games at first base in the plate AL West, most plate appearances in the AL West during the 2010s. Can't be the Mariners. Good grief, man. They've had like 83 different first basemen. I think that's per season. So <laughs> at first base... Oh my God, they just grind through them, don't they? Yeah, I just picked the two positions I thought would be the hardest. That I would have guessed Nelson Cruz for DH, but he was not. Yeah, yeah. as soon as I said Shinsu Chu, I really Shinsu Chu, I really wanted to say uh, take it back and say Nelson Cruz. Uh, Gosh, at first base, I mean, uh, give me Albert Pujols again. Sign me up. Uh, All right, Adam. Oh man! All right, I gotta think about this. In the 2010s, currently, currently in the AL West, right? Currently in the AL West. 
No, just no. just the most. Just in general. Oh. Yeah. Most PAs at first base in the AL West. Give me. Uh, hold on, I gotta think about this. I'll uh, give you bonus points if you can guess either of the top two. Either of the oh. top two. All right. I'm uh, guessing I didn't get any bonus points. Uh, can, can I say uh, uh, is um um uh, blah, 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 blah. man I got nothing. Uh, give me uh give me Maddelson. It is actually Albert Pujols, and you're right. And number two was uh, Mitch Moreland. But I thought it was interesting that Albert Pujols led two different positions in the decade. He had 24. He had 2,432 at first base and 2,348 at DH. Man, Mitch Moreland. But Pujols did lead the position in both, which I thought was interesting. I feel like this is the... You know what, Jim? Yeah. I've been so on point every division. I wa- rolled into this knowing this was going to be the trivia set that would that would make me seem totally foolish. That um, was not an easy question. I wouldn't have guessed <laughs> I, I might have guessed him for DH. I would not have thought you put enough at first base. Me neither. But I guess Trumbo was their D. I guess Trumbo was their D earlier in the decade. So that's yep. true. True. Whoever they. It's oh. just enough. There's just so much change. It's just amazing in the AL West. The the difference. And right? I mean, you... didn't even come until like 2012. I don't think. Yeah. Like, no, you're the right. First couple of years of the decade too, and he still managed to be the most like consistent guy at two different positions unreal Dang. all right jim Dang. all right uh so this time adam's first um this american league west team had the highest ops for a calendar month last year so for a month out of the year uh like 30 days but the exact month right of april may june whatever this team in the al west had the highest ops in a month last year of any team in Major League Baseball. I'm going to take the Oakland A's. And Jeremy? Dang, I thought you were going to get some Mariners in April. <laughs> I think that the answer is, is the Astros in like August or September. The Astros is the correct answer. I went with an obvious one this time. The Astros uh, actually had a 921 OPS in 28 August games last year. Oh, I, mean, I, got, the, I got the month right. I, I so felt like there was more to it than just the, I felt like the Astros were too easy. I wanted That's to why kind I wanted of... you to say the Mariners so I wouldn't look stupid guessing. There. <laughs> I stuck with the Astros because I remember they got super hot last year and the last, they had like they were so good in the second half overall. There's like no way that anyone yeah. could have topped them in a month, I felt like. I mean, right. a 921 OPS for an entire month. I mean, it's basically, I mean, Mookie Betts had a 915 OPS last year, right? I mean, it was like having Mookie Betts for an entire month at every position in your lineup. Ridiculous. You can't And they had like that. a 3.0 ERA that month, too. Like, they would have won Cy Young and MVP. Gross. Yeah, exactly. The Astros ended up having the highest OPS for the AL West in every month except June. In June, that team was not hitting. The Angels, the Mariners, and the Athletics all had a better OPS than the Astros wow. in June. But every other month, Astros in the AL West. I'm surprised the Mariners didn't lean April, that one month where they got up to like a really hot start. Yeah, the March and April, yeah. No, that ended up falling underneath the Astros. Interesting. All right, one more question for y'all. You got something yep. for it? Let's do it. Yes. All right, all right. All right, so this one, I don't know. I, I give it a medium difficulty. Uh, name the American League West team that led the major leagues in plate appearances with the bases loaded last year. 
Uh, Jeremy, it's your turn to go. Yeah, first, definitely so. Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll take the I'll take the Angels here. I feel like they. I watched the Angels a decent amount, and I, I haven't watched a lot of teams to compare them to, but I feel like they had a lot of bases loaded times. I feel like I've guessed every team so far except for the. Uh, no, I, I feel I feel like I want to say the A's again, um, and uh, but it just doesn't feel right. So I'm going to go with the Rangers. Yeah, it probably doesn't feel right because Jeremy already stole the correct answer. The correct answer oh, yeah. was the Angels, right? Unbelievable. The Angels had 211 plate appearances last year with the bases loaded. Second place was the Milwaukee Brewers at 193. The Nationals at 177 were in third. The second best in the American League was the Red Sox at 174. So, I mean, they were dang near 40 plate appearances ahead of the Red Sox with bases loaded situation so i mean so the eye test came through for me <laughs> so i mean you, th- and you also think about adding a rendon to that team that had that many opportunities i mean uh, rendon only barely led the national league in rbis last year right so it's, you guys did the over under at like 125 for him this year right i mean he was like what 124 or 127 last year right oh, something to that something effect like that. it's gotta be i mean yeah. 125 seems like a crazy high over under to set for like a bar like for an yeah. RBI, but if he's probably going to be hitting a behind Trout, so you have to say that there's going to be a guy on base for at least forty percent of his plate appearances. Yeah. Does he, he hit, doubles a ton and he homers a lot? Yes. Does he hit behind Trout and Otani? It's possible. I'm not sure if Madden's going to go like the righty lefty righty thing. I think yeah. the best move would be hitting Otani behind both of them, but I I could see Otani hitting in between them. Yeah, give me yeah. the over. If I'm wrong, nobody will remember anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, so, right. so I'll that uh, I'll set a reminder for the end of the season. Yeah, set a reminder. Get back to me on that. <laughs> hey Siri. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, all right. Well, um, uh, that uh, that does it for us this week uh, at the Romantic About Baseball podcast. Uh, thank you very much to a friend of the show and of ours, uh, Jeremy Frank. You can follow him on Twitter if you don't already at MLB Random Stats. Uh, you've got Jim over here at Passing Jim. I am at Adam C Mac. You can follow the blog at, at RMNTC Baseball or at romanticbaseball.com. Uh, thank you again, Jeremy, so much. I appreciate it.